of this time. We're hosting it at a, a time that works better for people in Europe and Africa. Uh, let's see how it goes. I'm going to tweet out and share the space. Uh, so hopefully more people join. Hey, Matt. How are you? Uh, let me uh, invite you as a co-host. Hey, thanks for joining, Matt. Oh, my, sorry, Mike was off. How's it going, Ray? Oh, good, good. I invited you as a co-host. I don't know if you're able to uh, join or uh, to accept it or not. Uh, I think I'm just perpetually stuck, unable to receive that notification. Uh, maybe oh my goodness. <laughs> um, let's see. It's possible I need to update the app or something, but I, I don't know. I'm not worried about it. You're gonna you're gonna be here to host the whole time, right? Um, I do need a run uh, in an hour, so yeah. unfortunately, I don't have all the time in the world. That's, prob that's probably today. all the time I've got, too. So, Okay, wonderful. Yeah, I don't see any app updates. I've uh, got the latest for everything. Yeah, well, let's see if uh, this time... Uh, let me see if I can tag some people uh, because uh, we have people in Europe, we have people in Africa that are still awake. So I wonder if there's anyone that uh, <laughs> can join at this time. Yeah, let me see if there's an easy button to share this thing. Let's see. Share via. Why isn't, why isn't there just like a tweet button?
Hey, hello. Uh, thanks for joining. Uh, we're just waiting to, and trying to invite more people to see if we can get a conversation going. I tried to post a tweet, but now I, like, I can't see it on my own profile, so I don't know if it actually went through or not. Uh, I don't think so. I looked on your profile and I don't see any, any uh, tweets. <laughs> Did, uh, did Oh wait, I, I do I do see it now. Okay, okay. Uh, I it just went through. Okay, interesting. It's like uh, it's like X saw that there was a link in there and had to make super sure that they I was allowed to share that link. Right, right. Oh, uh, I still I still don't see it on my own profile, but if you see it, that's good. I don't see it on your profile either, but it does show up in the feed, in the following feed. Weird. Okay. All right. Let me just tag some more people. And to both of you that joined, uh, we welcome all speaking and thoughts. So if either of you want to come up here and talk about anything Flutter related, by all means, just request to speak. And I'm sure Ray will let you up here. Yeah, just press the mic button and we'll bring you up. And Ray, did you have any uh, pre-selected topics for today? Uh, no, I never come to these with any uh, agendas or any topics. It's whatever uh, people want to uh, discuss or whatever is happening uh, that other people are interested in. Of course, if someone would like to suggest any topics, uh, then <laughs> please do so. And uh, if you can't talk, you can also just uh, click on uh, the comments button and type out you know, your thoughts, and we can discuss those as well. Or if you have any thoughts, Mike. Or, or hey, oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, I just saw that Mike, Mike joined, uh, so that's exciting. Uh, but if you have any thoughts, Matt, uh, we can discuss those as well yeah i don't think there's much on my mind i guess i can give a, a quick update on the swift ui clone uh i i so i mentioned last week that I, i'm trying to get the ux leads selected for that package i did have a call yesterday with one candidate went well i have two more calls scheduled for this friday uh, and then there's probably three more candidates that i'm waiting for them to schedule uh, and then from there, we're going to, I think we're going to get started putting some work items together. We do have a repository. We have uh, a slot on pub that's, that's taken up. I've, uh, I've written a mission statement. I've written uh, guiding principles. I've written technical guidance. I'm in the process of cloning the Swift UI text view and the Swift UI image view and writing up case studies so that other developers can see how I did that. Uh, and so we are, we do continue, we're continuing in the forward direction, just not necessarily super fast, but progress nonetheless. Oh, that's great. Uh, I do have a question about uh, the text, the Swift UI text direction that you're uh, 
sharing. I saw some of your posts from Flutter Bounty Hunters, so I, I can uh, share some of those to the tweet box as well. Uh, but if you haven't seen them, essentially Matt is sharing uh, some ideas of what a Swift UI like API could look like for the text um, Swift UI text. Uh, would that uh, would that be a good summary of what uh, you were doing there, Matt? I didn't quite catch that. So you mentioned text. Text is something obviously that we're going to work on because it's one of the views. What was the specific, I guess, the, the specific characterization you were providing? Uh, yeah, let me share it to uh, the, the tweet box. But um, you shared an image of a proposed API, like a, a type of uh, text that you want to, uh, the, the type of way that you want to style the text and you ran a poll. Right. So the starting point is is recognizing that uh, Flutter, so Swift UI and Flutter have at least one, what appears to be a very fundamental difference, which is that Swift UI, and I, I tried to look into the implementation of Swift UI, but at least in a, in a local deployment, it's all closed source. I don't know if somewhere else it's open source, but when I tried jumping into the implementation of Apple's own methods, all I got were stubs. So I can't say much for sure, but just based on looking at, at the API surface, it seems to me that Swift UI is almost kind of doing what web did with a shadow DOM. They're, they seem to be assembling a data structure for the UI, and then somewhere along the line or somewhere along the way, they're using that data structure to then mutate and update actual views, but that you don't actually have access to those views. You, you never see it. You never touch it. You just assemble a data structure. And as a result, they can do all this method chaining. They can have these modifier methods because these modifier methods take one struct, make some alteration to the struct and return a new one with, with like, let's say, bold style for text, italics, that kind of thing. Flutter, Flutter cannot do that because in Flutter, a widget, even though most of us are used to just declaring properties on a widget, a widget is not merely a struct. It's not merely a data structure. A widget actually has a method called create element, and it has a method called uh, create render object, at least for a render object uh, widget. So these are not mere data structures that we create in Flutter. And so the idea of bringing modifier methods to Flutter, it, I think is probably a non-starter. I think you'd have to really hack it in there. I think it works against Flutter's own assumptions. And as a result, I don't think, I, I think modifier methods are something that don't make sense to port to Flutter, nor do I think they're fundamentally needed. But if we're not going to have modifier methods, we then have to ask the question, what should we do? Do we go with a totally traditional Flutter approach with, with widget properties? Like, for example, should we have a style property on the text widget, the way that normal Flutter would do that? Or do we try something a bit different? And Ray, you mentioned a poll. In that poll, I included uh, a concept in which you would pass a set, uh, an ordered set of what you might call text style attributes so that you could place them in any order that you want. Their names would look very similar to the Swift UI modifier methods, 
but they wouldn't technically be modifier methods. They would be some kind of attribute object as, as described in that poll. But the, the result of the poll, I think, was overwhelmingly in favor of the more traditional Flutter style. And so I think for now, that's, what we're, that's the direction we're going to go. But with, with that response, Ray, feel free to follow up with more questions to that or comments on that, um, whatever you think. Right. I was thinking along the same lines where uh, with the text and with the API, we already have text. I don't think anyone's complained about uh, Flutter's text all that much. So I was wondering uh, why uh, we, uh, why I guess you were uh, thinking about starting with the text when instead uh, originally what we were discussing is that we wanted to start with uh, some of the things that we don't have in Flutter yet. Uh, that Swift UI has, perhaps. Uh, but yeah, I think you answered my question there. Um, and if anyone, I see that quite a few other people have joined. So if anyone would like to come up um, and speak, share your thoughts, uh, you know, anything you uh, have, your thoughts on Flutter um, or any projects we're working on, uh, just press the mic button and we'll bring you up. To answer your question about why text first, it's because, so for we, I think we, we should clone the entire API surface, which includes text and image. Um, yes, Flutter has a version of text. It has a version of image. But of course, if you pull up the docs in Swift UI for text, there are certain behaviors that it has that Flutter doesn't. For example, if you use a text view with a, a string value, that string value is automatically localized in Swift UI. That is not something that Flutter does. So it's an expectation that Swift UI developers would have. It's an expectation of the Swift UI API, and it's not a normal Flutter text behavior. So we want to make sure we reflect that. But the second thing is that with text and image, those are kind of building blocks for everything else. And so building other much larger composite things using the more traditional Flutter widgets, it's going to create conflicts between how those are built and how other areas of the Swift UI port are built. So I'm, I'm starting with the most fundamental building blocks. And one of the reasons to do that as well is that as I do it, I'm going to write case studies. And then, uh, Ray, when you ask, like, well, that's, that's weird. Why do we need a, a different text widget? You'll actually be able to see in the case study, here's why we need it. Here's the difference between a Swift UI text view and a Flutter text widget, and here's why we're cloning it. And then that information will be available for everyone moving forward. Oh, that's great. Um, anyone else have any thoughts on uh, on uh, Matt's uh, Swift UI uh, project that he's leading? Uh, yeah, uh, Mike, uh, you have the floor. Hi. Everybody. It's Mike here, or also known as Material Mike, obviously on on Twitter at least. Uh, hey Mike. Just to start, just to start off, I'm I'm new on this space. I haven't had the opportunity to participate before, so it's really great to be here. Thanks for having me. And uh, Matt, I really appreciate the effort that you are doing on on Swift UI. It it looks like it's going to be really fantastic. As for the APIs and, and, and your concerns about that with the modifiers, yeah, I do understand them. And I've seen a lot of uh, people doing it. And uh, 
what they not realize, of course, sometimes when they are piling them on on top of each other is that, uh, yeah, Flutter will do a lot of extra work if you try to do that. And and I suspect it is built in Swift UI just exactly as you explained it as well. But since there is no way of knowing, we, we can't be sure what they are doing under the hood. But yeah, it's an interesting thing. But and, and what I think, of course, will will maybe a little bit impact this. Of course, you had your survey, etc. But I, I suspect that uh, we are asking mostly Flutter developers if the if uh, the intent is also to appeal potentially to Swift UI developers, then perhaps the response would have been different, or, or I don't know. But uh, yeah, anyway, I, I think it's a really really tremendous effort and I do wish I would have time to participate but maybe later when I my, my workload takes a little bit slower turn I can still join later I would lo love to do that well thanks Mike I appreciate uh, what you just said and I it sounds like we're at a similar place in terms of the analysis there uh, again yeah to make sure everyone understands as you mentioned when you start when, when you know when people try to kind of hack the concept of modifier methods into flutter, Flutter loses visibility into what becomes stale versus not stale. This is kind of the part that everyone needs to understand. When you compose widgets within widgets, the fact that there are elements, that, that, and that's, a, a, that's something in Flutter. There's something in Flutter called an element. And the fact that you have elements allows Flutter to mark certain elements, meaning widgets, as dirty, and others as clean. And that's how Flutter optimizes which part of your UI to rebuild 120 times per second. You can imagine it's pretty important not to create a bunch of unnecessary dirty flags or rebuilds. When you use modifier methods, um, you, are almost, you are almost creating your own build system outside of the Flutter framework. You're, as these methods run, you're composing new trees, you're returning different subtrees than what got passed in. You've kind of moved part of the build pipeline into your own code. And now you're doing a bunch of extra work during the build phase that you fundamentally wouldn't need to do if you just embraced Flutter's widget composition. So that's kind of a, a little bit deeper information about why, yes, you can make things look like modifier methods to a certain extent, but that's how modifier methods actually start to degrade fundamental flutter behaviors. And uh, I will say, Mike, assuming that, that this project is a really great success, which is a big assumption, we got a long road to go, but if we pull it off and we're able to get the flutter framework to deprecate all their Cupertino widgets in favor of Swift, the Swift UI package, I would love to see if one day, Mike, you could lead a similar effort to get material out of the framework, and then we might actually have a Flutter framework that's just a Flutter framework, and the Flutter framework developers can spend all their time doing the things the rest of us can't do, which I think would be great. Yeah, that's an interesting idea, for sure. And I, I was wondering also originally what your main intent with, was with, with taking on this Swift UI project, because you know there is you know a lot of Cupertino widgets, but it's all, only the visual UI widgets and and so so I was a little bit sort of wondering that why build them again but I, I guess some of that you will probably copy from the framework as well and just reuse them in in, in Swift UI but sort of outside of of, of, the, of Flutter then I guess to to rebuild their, their sort of their visuals for those that are good then there's a lot of ones that are missing still so and uh, another thing that you you know is probably a neat in in Swift UI is the 
the squircle on the border radius that I worked a little bit with that one and tried a few different versions, but there's always a little bit of a performance hit and issue with them that I don't know if we can get around somehow to get it to perform better. Yeah, someone did link me to your work on that, and I haven't read through it yet, but I've, I've logged in the back of my mind that we're going to run into some real trouble with the squircle shape. And for those of you that don't know what that term means, it's a combination between square and circle. And, uh, and the reason that term exists is because rounded rectangles on iOS aren't really rounded rectangles for the most part. They actually have a different shape, which is this combination between a circle and a square. That's actually what you're looking at. And it turns out that it's not so obvious how to get a curve that looks just like that curve. So I've logged in the back of my mind that that's going to be a problem. That's also, uh, Mike, why I established a, a specific UX area for shape. Um, I'm, I'm hoping to get a UX lead in there at some point, but that's why I called it out specifically is because I know we're going to run into some issues like that. As to your question about the Cupertino widgets, yes, it's very possible that we might copy some code over wherever we can. I mean, there's no reason to literally redo the exact same work. So anything that's up to spec, we'll copy it over. The reason, uh, the reason to create things that may already exist in the Flutter framework is that I think from a messaging and dependency standpoint, if someone wants Swift UI, they should just be able to get all of, all of Swift UI. They shouldn't have to pull in some Cupertino widgets and then like Cupertino Plus and then, and then Swift band-aid over here like there should be a package which is all the swift ui stuff you know it's all in there you know it's all up to date and you don't have to worry anymore about about piecemeal uh, accumulation yeah i totally agree on that that's a really good idea and uh, yeah it it is really fantastic that you were thinking along the line sort of quite long term there that eventually we might end up with a package that will basically just replace the cupertino widgets in in, in Flutter and, and maybe doing the same for material, since it does seem to be a task that uh, the Flutter team is not willing to undertake. And they have already sort of intertwined the libraries quite deep into everything else in, in the framework. So it's actually not so easy to do it either. Uh, a little bit of a side note about this. I don't know who has heard about the, what did they call them now, now again, this... Uh, this unopinionated uh, component, what, what they had a specific name, I forgot what it is, that uh, Hicks is working on providing a new set of, uh, of vid widgets that are, are sort of just empty placeholders that you can build your own styling and style from. I don't know if when that is going to be released and, and how fast. There is a design document and you can find chatter about it sometimes in the Discord channel. So, so that that is definitely something interesting, and uh, that can also help to to build those components, blank slate components, or something like that. What it was called, or something. Can you, uh, if you can find a link, can you post that into the box here at the top, or so can we get that in the record on this spaces? Yeah, yeah, I can go dig for it later. I'm not a, a keyboard at the moment. I'm just on my mobile. Might be a bit, but yeah, but I'll post a link to this to this this okay. one later yeah yeah it's actually a, a thought that i had a, a while ago was to create a package that i was just going to call vanilla ui and it was going to sound like it's going to be very similar to that which is just here's all the foundational pieces that any user interface would need without imposing so many assumptions that come from material 
and you're absolutely right that to to remove like I back when I was on the team, I, I was talking to Hixie, pro, you know, in like 2019 about this, and even then he was saying material is so baked in to everything in the framework that we're we're never going to get it out. Now I, I think he was being a bit fatalistic. I I think if enough people want it out and enough people will show up to do the work, it's certainly not impossible. It's just tedious. But yes, it will be a a mountain of work to separate material from non-material stuff. But I also see that as the primary reason to do it because we all know that material is an opinionated design system. It shouldn't be baked in to everything in the framework. So the fact that it is so baked in is the biggest reason to get it out of there. So I would like to see that at some point. And I, and I also would really like to see the Flutter framework developers focus on the foundations. You know, every, every few weeks I run into a limitation with the IME integration, the input method engine or input method editor, whatever you want to call it. That's the way the operating system uh, communicates all text editing, all content editing to an app. Flutter supports, historically Flutter only supported a very narrow uh, amount of the IME. It has expanded that a bit, largely based on, uh, you know, me from Super Editor begging them to do it. But there's still lots more in that world of IME that Flutter hasn't exposed to the app. There are problems where Flutter does things on your behalf you don't want it to. So I'd love for like the Flutter framework to be off working on that, not the latest gradient or curvature of some material widget. It's just anybody can do that. But when it comes to like IME integration, when it comes to impeller work, these are things that only the core of the team can do. And so I wish they'd spend all their time working on those things. Yeah, definitely. And uh, blank canvas widgets is the name. I, I just recalled what, what, they, what Hixie called it in his design document. It's, it's among the published design documents uh, as well. And, and you can find a lot of comments in it. And it's it's a really nice set since it's uh, really going to take care of you know all the basics and fundamentals that you need in in, in the different types of controls so like having all the semantics and all these kind of things features baked in but no opinion on the style and what they look like. Good, I, yeah, I think that'll be a positive move. What is a bit sad about it, though, that uh, also in the Discord channel, I don't remember if it was in the design document, but at least uh, maybe it was in the design document as well. Hixie mentioned that uh, they are not planning to rewrite the Cupertino widgets and uh, material widgets to be based on these uh, blank canvas widgets so that they would share the same roots and, and through be sort of a proof of a concept that it really works and you can build something completely customized by basing them on these sort of blank widgets but they are not planning on doing that so that little bit sort of raises red flags for me and the concern that maybe they will then be just uh, you know second grade citizens second grade citizens since uh, flutter itself is not using those widgets for anything in the in their core ui libraries yeah that seems like a reasonable concern there again, you know, maybe maybe we can organize a community effort around it. I, my general assumption is that for most things where the team says we're not going to do it, it's probably a labor shortage issue. I mean, occasionally it's a mission issue. Occasionally it's a scoping issue. But 
I think most of the time it's just that they don't have very many developers and they have a million things to do. So as those issues come up, if there is a way for the community to rally around it, then perhaps we can get it done. Although I will say one thing, well, one thing that Ray and I have talked about on previous spaces, and part of the reason why the Swift UI clone is being built outside the framework is that it's just, it, it takes so much unnecessary effort to get anything merged into the framework from the outside. You have to understand so many policies. You have to comply exactly. There's no one will spend more than five minutes responding to you in a PR. No one will help you figure out how to write tests. It's just a god-awful experience trying to contribute to Flutter. And so even if we got the community to rally, we are still facing the problem that none of us, even the best of us, can consistently get contributions merged in. I think that problem likely needs to be solved first. Yeah, that's definitely true. And uh, they certainly don't make it easier by using their own formatting as well and everything like that. So for people that haven't been involved in making any contributions there, you'll find a big hurdle getting anything in. And definitely all the testing, et cetera. Okay, it's good that they have string, string, very very strict testing requirements, but yeah, it can, it can be really demanding. But at least if you look at the existing tests, you can learn a lot about what, what is expected. Yeah, that's true. So, okay, I want to jump in. Uh, sorry, yeah. I, I just want to jump in and uh, say that if anyone uh, would like to respond or any, anyone has any thoughts or uh, your own Flutter projects that you're working on, uh, you can request, press the mic button and come up and, you know, share your thoughts at any time. This is a really open space. We don't have an agenda. Uh, so whatever topics you bring to the table, uh, we really value that contribution. Oh, sorry, back to you, Mike. Well, yeah, I was just going to say that I do uh, agree on the on the labor shortage and uh, why actually getting the UI widgets out, out of Flutter would be a great idea because it would make it a lot easier for anybody to contribute on them at least and uh, remove some of the burden of maintaining them from the from the Flutter core team. But yeah, but that's uh, I think quite a long long winding road to to get there. But but maybe it's possible. So anybody for any, any other topics? What, what else have you discussed before? I don't, I don't know. Well, Mike, I saw that you brought back your state management rankings. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, I did. After it being sort of on a hiatus for over a year, I, I went through it and updated a little. So in a summary of it, we can say that not much has changed in one year. There was only like one new entry in the top 30 and... And uh, top is still uh, GetX and uh, and the provider and and block and Riverport in that order, basically. If you if you go with, you can also have the the sort of uh, fans of using provider plus plus get it for for dependency injection. So that that's pretty much it. It hasn't changed and it's still as fragmented as it, as it has ever been, which is also a bit sad because if you have to deal with a lot of code bases, you you inevitably will come across all of these different approaches, which uh, it's can be confusing. My thoughts here. What's really interesting is, like people, some people have the feeling that 
you know, we discuss, we talk about state management way too much. I know, Matt, you, you have that feeling. You, you don't want us to, you know, debate about state management. And you, you, that's a very valid point. But in my experience, uh, these state management conversations uh, haven't really been happening in a way where there's a dialogue, right? So there's a back and forth discussion. Um, it's It's mostly just been... Uh, I guess, uh, via text, you know, you write, you know, a Reddit post comparing, you know, provider versus block or something like that. But I haven't really seen these conversations like talking to, you know, Felix, right? Uh, just being able to talk to Felix as a resource uh, and understand, hey, here's what's happening with Flutterblock. Um, here's my problems. What, where, where is Flutterblock going? What are your thoughts? And just understanding his library and his state management solution, you know, his philosophy behind it, behind it helps you become a better developer. Um, so there are a few videos uh, where, you know, people demonstrate how to use Flutterblock, but just making uh, Felix available as a resource, uh, that would be very valuable. And the same with Remy, right? So Remy with Provider and Riverpod, um, understanding and being able to talk to him about some of like the decisions that he's making, uh, that would be really, really valuable. Uh, and Remy does a great job here with, uh, you know, being on Twitter and actually responding to, uh, to people and responding to people on his, you know, GitHub as well. So uh, they, they're they're doing great, but uh, it, I I haven't actually seen or you know uh, had heard a lot of these dialogues because um, in person, like uh, I'm I'm sure some of you you know have probably talked to like Felix in person, right? So uh, you get a much better understanding of someone's library if you can actually reach out and talk to them in person. Uh, so with state management, um, I think there's definitely room for a lot more discussion. Um, like I, I wouldn't shut down discussion on any of uh, the packages or any of the libraries uh, because those challenges uh, are quite interesting. And we, if Flutter has the flexibility to support all these state management libraries, which is which I think is really incredible from a framework standpoint. Uh, of course... <laughs> Uh, for a newcomer to Flutter um, and for certain, you know, business reasons, having all of these state management solutions might not be the best. Uh, but as a developer, uh, I really appreciate it. Yeah, I, I think the only sort of sad part about this is that we have maybe a little bit too much fragmentation when it comes to it. So it's very confusing for, for new developers that are coming on board to flutter and you, you face this sort of big hurdle of indecision that what should I do and what should I use? Should I take provider or Riverport or block or whatever, or should I just, you know, bake my own that you can also do quite nicely with flutter. You don't have to use any of them. You can quite easily build your own with a change notifier, value notifier, et cetera, and, and, and listeners and, and do a simple one for yourself and, and be, do, be, be done with it. So it's it's all quite quite interesting, and yeah, yeah. Your nation, Felix and, and Remy, they are both really great in person. And and if you ever have a chance to meet them and talk with them in person, do do take some a few minutes at least to pick, pick their minds about it. I had the pleasure of 
walking together with Felix in, in, in Flutter and Friends to our dinner. So we had about uh, half an hour to talk to talk yes to each other. And so I picked his brain a little bit about a lot of topics. Of course, he's very busy with Shorebird at the moment. But, but yeah. Yeah, my take on state management is um, I, I, I like I like provider um, and I like get it. I think get it and provider. Um, it's it's perfectly OK to have globals. Um, you know, you have a global manager class. Uh, you have, uh, say, an editor manager. You have like a user manager. Uh, you just keep it. You just create all these globals and it just makes your life so much easier because then you can access and you can do uh, you can mock the globals. You can do dependency injection, whatever. Um, and you can get the data you need at any place in your app and then set up listeners uh, you know, value listeners, uh, value notifiers, uh, screen builders, you can set all those up and you don't have to p worry about passing through data through multiple, you know, your widget tree. And then where you do need to scope uh, logic to, say, a widget lifecycle or a page lifecycle, then you can just put that those variables and put those uh, logic into a provider. So that's that's the quick and dirty thing that really works for me. Um, and one interesting thing I found is that uh, I did write my own state management um, helper. Um, I wouldn't call it a library, but I, I, it's a helper. And it leverages uh, stream builders um, because of performance reasons. So uh, streams uh, are really bad. <laughs> they're like some of the uh, they're really terrible to work with especially with hot reload um but they are very performant so uh, that's perhaps something interesting wanted to share yeah if anyone has any thoughts about like state management or any questions uh we can you, i can bring you up just press the mic button and we can bring you up to talk or if you have any other topics you'd like to uh discuss uh definitely come up as well. Um, otherwise, uh, we do have um, a discussion, uh, a comment by Kushal. Uh, Kushal says, uh, let me share it to the space. Uh, Kushal says, hey, today I just made my Fiverr account and want some suggestions on how I can get my first gig in Flutter. Uh, so uh, does anyone have any advice for Kushal? Um, I don't want to be that person, but I guess it really depends on what's your, you know, previous experience, even though if you create a really fresh account, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are a freshman in, in Flutter or in mobile development or in any development at all. So I think if you like have, uh, kind of, uh, not a huge amount of projects, but it's a any projects in your portfolio, you have like portfolio page or you have a GitHub that's, you know, shows off your, your experience or your projects in the past, then it, it, it would definitely help. And it doesn't matter whether you create a new account on Fiverr or on any other platform. If you can show your experience somehow, it, it would just help to get you that first gig. Uh, I think 
I I see this a lot, especially on on social media. Um, since I'm kind of managing the Flutter community page on on LinkedIn, and you could imagine that LinkedIn basically is the main space, you know, to find job or to find a gig, and we see a lot of uh, requests or you know people who are just getting into Flutter and they are trying to find their first gig, which is natural because. Uh, you, you need to pay the bills. But in all of the discussions I had, there's no single answer that you know you could say to the person and and it would help to get or land this first, first job. Uh, I think if you are really, really uh, a fresh person in, in the market, you just need to shoot a lot of arrows in every, every single direction around you. So maybe I sent... 30, 40, 50 requests to any possible job opportunities and maybe one of those you know, will, uh, yeah, maybe you'll hit something and, and then you can start your work and after that, once you finish your first project, the second one is always uh, an, an easier one to get. So no, no right answer in this case, but just yeah, try, try a lot and, and be persistent with that. Yeah, that's that's great advice. Um, uh, I'd say that uh, I I guess my uh, recommendation here would be uh, first uh, like to actually develop and improve um, your own skills. So if your skills are there um, and you build you know just wonderful things uh, and share it, um, that that that's that's a solid foundation to build upon. Um, so. Compared to, say, uh, the web, um, what's great about Flutter is that uh, if you're working, you know, off of like Fiverr or Upwork, you know, trying to apply to all these uh, Flutter opportunities, um, like Flutter con contractual work, etc., cetera, uh, you have the opportunity to spend a lot more time on Flutter than say um, a web developer or you know someone that does web work does because um, on web you have just so many frameworks you have Tailwind you have Next.js you have all those other um, custom things for every single project where a lot of the time and a lot of your energy will just be spent trying to catch up on you know what the client's web project is doing. And you spend a lot of time learning about the client's specific web project instead of learning the actual uh, technology. So that's one huge benefit of, of Flutter, where whenever you do any work for any client, um, you're improving your own Flutter skills. And that's, those skill sets are reusable on your subsequent projects. Um, so you become a better and better Flutter developer over time. Whereas with web, um, what you see is that um, a lot of web developers are really good at um, jumping into, uh, you know, new projects and, you know, getting up to speed because that's what their ecosystem uh, really rewards and really uh, trains, you know, their developers on. So uh, I guess that's one benefit of, uh, you know, looking for Flutter jobs and, uh, like um, uh, Mangru does. Uh, sorry, am I getting? Is that am I pronouncing your name right? How do I say your name? Uh, 
Um, Manger dust? Yeah, that, that's great. Mike could confirm oh. that that's great because he, he joined a lot of spaces of mine and he heard a lot of people pronouncing my name in a very different way. So this one is, is among the top five, I would, I would say. Oh, wait, well, how do you say it? <laughs> it's Mangerdas. 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 Yeah. I, I can you say it again? A, can I ask you to say Mangerdas. it again? Mangerdas. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's great. Great. Actually, Uri, uh, when you when you mentioned this, you reminded a very good point that that could be an actual tip for any Flutter developer or developer in general. So let's say you are creating a new Fiverr account or you are building your portfolio or your personality on LinkedIn or on social media in general. You do not even need to mention that you are a Flutter developer because clients do not really care about that unless they have an already ongoing project. So if you are, you know, building your portfolio on Fiverr, just say that you are a product developer, you are, you can build the best app for you. You could create an app and then clients are looking for this person. They do not care whether you're using, you know, React Native, Flutter or any other framework under, under the hood, as long as you can ship the product, the actual app to them. So it would just, you know, maybe it, it's too general in a way, but but clients are looking for for the right person to build their their, their project or their, their app. So I think that could be even easier to get your first job. And once you get it, I guess Flutter would help you to deliver it and you'll be in a position where you could choose the technology. So pick Flutter, prove it that you know you can build a, a, a product in in a week or two, uh, you know, depending on, on requirements of the project. And, and here you go, you have your first gig. Yeah, that's great. Oh, so you're you're uh, Kershaw, You're definitely uh, already thinking in a really good way uh, with you know looking for uh, these opportunities, these flutter opportunities. Uh, because if you're just starting out, um, the most valuable thing is uh, you know developing your skill set, right? Um, and I guess to round it off, uh, whatever you build. Uh, share it, right? Definitely share it, you know, on social media, share it on the Reddit, uh, because we need more of that. <laughs> if you search Flutter, um, uh, you, uh, I, I search Flutter, you know, to see what people are building, uh, and uh, we could always use more. Uh, does anyone else have any uh, additional advice for Kershaw um, or any uh, fluttered topics that you'd like to uh, raise or you know a comment on? Uh, you can just press the mic button and I'll bring you up um, and you'll have the floor. Uh, this is a really open space. Um, any projects you're working on, anything you're building, uh, you know, definitely come up and share. I did see that we had someone join and they were working on, you know, some projects as well. So, uh, yeah, come up, you know, and share it. Uh, we'd love to, you know, see. 
see this guy actually, and maybe someone will help me with the problems I have. So, uh, for those who do don't really know me or what I'm doing, I'm building uh, a framework on Flutter to create slides, presentation slides, since I'm speaking in quite a few conferences throughout the year. And I create a lot of presentations, and usually I need to make them really and uh, entertaining at the same time, you know, uh, uh, interesting, and and yeah, uh, that that really helps to make the the speak itself or the talk more more fluid and and more catchy, I would say, which is one of the most important things when you are trying to explain something to someone. Uh, and yeah, so so the, this package called Flutter Deck, and actually at the moment, uh, I'm not really doing that much uh, in a way, uh, but actually there are some features that I would like to implement into the framework. And if you, uh, anyone you know who is in the space and want to contribute to the to the package, it's actually pinned on my profile at the top, so you can check it out. And actually, the main features that I am really trying to focus and trying to think of the ways how to implement those is uh, so the first one is you know as any presentation framework uh, it needs some kind of a speaker view or the second screen thing where you could see the speaker notes where you could see the controls of a slide you could you know turn turn the presentation on and off you know pause it or maybe pick a marker or any laser pointer you know to use it so kind of I need this kind of a utility screen, but there is a limitation, at least at the moment in Flutter, but it's improving there is that uh, for that you need a second screen support or you need to support second window, which is basically the main struggle uh, in Flutter because at the moment it only supports a single app, single screen, single window, and you cannot really show it. Uh, yeah, you cannot, you cannot really run the same app on two monitors. Uh, Actually, I think it on master channel there is there is already some progress or some proof of concept of how this should work, but it's it's still not not stable enough to use. So I'm trying to you know trying to figure out what could be the alternative for this. Uh, and and yeah, at least you know uh, there's a, actually an issue created on, on the repository, and you can contribute to that. Uh, I think the easiest and most straightforward solution that I could think of is to actually run a second Flutter app in parallel that communicates with the main presentation view using sockets, using, I know, Firebase, Firestore, like real-time updates on whatever, you know, we want to use for that, uh, or even Dart as a backend. And, you know, for, for instance, Dartfrog supports sockets, so you could run, you know, you can run a Dart server and two Flutter apps as a single unit of presentation, and this will communicate to provide the same experience. So that could be uh, the solution, but then it brings some difficulties, you know, on how to host this, if, if you want to host your own slides on your own server, you know, how to conveniently put this there and, and so on and so forth. So if any of you have any ideas, you know, how you can do this, please do. Uh, that That's quite an interesting challenge in Flutter context, I suppose. Uh, and then, you know, uh, if you want to contribute in any other way, create create some more templates in the slide deck. If you, for instance, I have an idea, which I think it's relatively easy to implement in Flutter, uh, but I, I still didn't get uh, right to it, is 
I want to implement drawing on top of the slide. So if you take a marker, you know, and you need to like sketch something or you need to highlight some items, you need to use a pencil basically. So it's not that hard, I think, to put, uh, you know, uh, a new layer at the top of the stack and basically using Flutter Draw anything there with, with mouse, mouse region updates or whatnot. Uh, but yeah, uh, just an idea about what could be achieved there. And, and yeah, I think there's a lot of things that I still haven't really considered in the framework. For instance, how to make it responsive mobile devices, whether, you know, the slide as a concept should be responsive or, or I should just keep the aspect ratio and provide just a smaller version of the slide and, and other challenges, which are quite fun. I mean, uh, getting back to our previous previous topic about, you know, getting some experience in Flutter and eventually getting your your first job easier is just, you know, uh, showing off your skills in public. So obviously this package is, is a package published on PubDev and all the packages that are published, there are open source and they are public. So it's it's even easier for recruiters to check the code if, if they're interested in that and to see your expertise. And building such framework, for instance, getting back to, you know, to what Matt uh, talked about all the text editing stuff and, uh, and, and, other, and other things, other projects, they show your expertise. And it, it's fun to work on those because this usually brings very different challenges that you, that you, you know, uh, face when you are just doing your casual uh, five, uh, not five, but nine to five job, your, your daily work. So it's fun. And what, what I wanted to say with all this gibberish, just if you want to contribute or you want to create issues or just suggestions, Please do. Uh, I'm really looking forward to those. Yeah, thanks, Margaret. And since we have you here, uh, this is a great opportunity to ask any questions, you know, about Flutter Deck. Uh, so I shared your uh, Flutter Deck uh, tweet um, in the tweet box. And also, what I think is really helpful for me to understand, hey, why should we use Flutter Deck instead of a PowerPoint? It's that uh, Flutter Deck lets you uh, provide interactivity. Um, so if you want to, you know, demo your Flutter app and, you know, demo, you know, a component or, you know, uh, your app inside of your presentation, uh, then it's a go-to solution. Um, so do you want to uh, share a little bit about uh, your experiences building Flutter Deck and, you know, I, or some of the use cases that you see, perhaps? or whatever else you want people to uh, know about Flutter Deck? Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, so I think kind of relatively good summary is I was in the Flying High with Flutter podcast uh, several months ago, and I really like explained the main idea and all the details about this at that moment, so you can check that video. Uh, but to sum up and maybe to to, you know, uh, swiftly review uh, why I, I tried to do it. And you are totally right, uh, Ray. Uh, basically, the main reason was to bring the interactivity into the slides because usually, you know, when you see the slide decks about Flutter, because when people are talking about Flutter, when they are introducing this to the teams, they are, you know, they are basically talking about very similar stuff. You know, there's a framework, you can ship it to six different platforms, you could create, you could... Basically, the main selling point usually is 
if you use in Flutter, you are controlling every single pixel on the screen and you can draw anything you want. You could implement any UI you want, uh, yada, yada, you know. But uh, the main problem with using Google Slides or Keynote is that you cannot really show that because these are just, you know, static pictures. So maybe you could embed some videos inside, but it's it's not interactive. It, it doesn't really show, you know, what what Flutter does and what, what are the capabilities of Flutter. And I think the first time when I used uh, like a, you could say alpha or like pre-framework version of Flutter Deck or, ba or basically the initial code that's turned into Flutter Deck was when I was in Poland last year and uh, I was invited to the native Android conference. So basically I was a single Flutter developer in the whole conference as I understood, and it was, you know, all the talks were about Android, about uh, Kotlin multi-platform and other, you know, Android-facing uh, stuff. And, and yeah, I had a presentation, introduction to Flutter, and then I showed these slides implemented Flutter where it was like, in one slide, we had this rival animation. I think it's a very popular one, the bear animation of, of a login flow. I think you should uh, you should have seen this uh, in the in the community somewhere. Also, you know, I showed like uh, you could run shaders inside web. So basically, I had a interactive uh, ocean simulation inside the slide. Like you have a control, you could increase the 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 waves or the, decrease them. You know, and you could control these stuff. Like I launched, uh, you know, I, I was showing the slide and I run like an app preview inside the slide. So actually inside the slide, you have a another Flutter app, which was basically working inside this slide presentation. Uh, like I had some demos with camera, like ju just casually, you know, you are in the slide and you wanted to show the faces of the audience and I just turned camera and it was facing the audience. So all of those minor stuff, you know, that shows that Flutter is capable of doing those uh, and you have the flexibility. And when thinking about presentation, obviously, you know, you need to prepare some things that, that are very common among all the presentation tools that you're using. Like every single presentation need to, you know, to have some way of how to create a slide. Like they provide you templates, they provide you the basic flow of the presentation, like, well, which which slide is the first one, which slide is the second one, and so on and so forth. So uh, my idea behind Flutter Deck was, you know, to prepare this fundamental portion of, of a framework, like Flutter Deck handles navigation under the hood, I'm using Go Router. So meaning if you are building a presentation using Flutter Deck out of the box, you have deep links to any single slide. So if you are talking in the Flutter community and you remember, oh, in one of my presentations, I, I talked about this and you could actually just copy paste the deep link directly to your slide and um, from your presentation since it's a Flutter app, which is which could be deployed, you know, on your own uh, site. Uh, so that's that's main advantage. And I think that's the main idea, like to uh, to prepare the fundamental parts of the framework that could be used, but leave the presentation part for you. So it doesn't matter what you are presenting. You could use Flutter for that. And and yeah, that, that was the goal. Uh, there are already, I think I have already used the framework for three or four different presentations in various conferences. I think they worked pretty well. Uh, all of these are deployed on my site and actually these are provided in the documentation if you are curious to check how they look like. 
yeah, I, I think that's the main idea and the main intention behind it. And nothing, nothing magical, I would say, but pretty straightforward. Uh, thanks, Monger does. Uh, yeah, that's what's really cool is that um, on your Flutter deck repo, if you go and look at you know the use by, uh, you see that other people have also tried uh, building presentations with Flutter deck. And what I really like is that it, this is like something that developers like they we eat up, right? It's really cool. Where <laughs> if we're building an entire you know presentation in Flutter uh, using a Flutter tool, uh, we just really love that. Like, why would we? use a PowerPoint when I can make a presentation of Flutter. Um, even, well, PowerPoint, you know, it's, it has two decades of work behind it, but uh, I do, we do love Flutter. Yeah, that's, that, that's good. I, I, I guess, you know, it's not if you are just creating a very simple presentation that only contains, you know, two columns of text in every single slide. I think Flutter deck could be a little bit of an overkill for that. Uh, but if you need like any kind of interactivity inside the slide, then I think some things are not even that possible in PowerPoint. So you just need to choose the right tool for, for your use case. Um, so, so yeah, like if, if Flutter deck, you know, covers your use case, then, then why not? Hey, Monger guys, uh, I have a question about uh, Flutter deck. So do you have any, uh, intention of uh, cloning, say, the Keynote UI or cloning, you know, the PowerPoint UI, because uh, that's what, like, people are used to. And uh, maybe, you know, it'd be very cool to see. Uh, it would definitely be a cool project to see, hey, uh, we rebuilt, you know, <laughs> the Keynote UI in Flutter and it all works. Um, uh, do you so have any mean, thoughts there? Uh, or? Yeah, by UI, you mean that, like, to build the slide builder, like you could imagine uh, Rive, let's say, you know, there's an editor for slides or you imagine just a single, not a single, but just a keynote or a presentation that looks like it was created using uh, PowerPoint or using Keynote. So um, which, I mean, like uh, the controls. So you know how you have uh, the preview of each slide, you know, on the left, um, yeah, yeah, I, I see, I see. There's yeah, like so, buttons. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I know. Uh, so, so that that's the presentation, uh, uh, like speakers uh, view part that that I mentioned previously, which is still a challenge. Uh, I mean, it's technically possible. Like, I I mean, it's not technically. It's definitely possible to have this uh, like navigate similar navigation bar that you could see all the layout of all of your slides. Like, it's not that hard, you know, to using golden test to screenshot every single slide before running your presentation and you'll have those uh, thumbnails of each slide that's doable but i think uh, i'm really focusing more of a user experience from the speaker's point of view because it, that's the thing uh, i think that that may be uh, one of the intentions why i wanted to create such framework is that i'm a speaker myself and i when i if i would use my own framework and I would struggle using it. Like if the UX is poor, like it, if it lacks any navigation, any controls, I won't probably even use that. So I really want to focus on the UX part first, like, you know, to have all the, uh, all the controls you need, like uh, 
during the presentation time, always using the presentation clicker. So I I need to be sure that you know this clicker is working. I need to be sure that uh, I know it won't break first of all i want to be sure that you know it, it would it would run smoothly uh, and all of these parts and like the speakers view or the you know the the separate screen where you see the all the speaker notes and you will see the previews of the next slide and other things uh, there's a challenge in that uh, there's an issue created on the on the uh, on the repository I should focus on, on this next, but uh, there, as I mentioned, there are some limitations from the Flutter framework at the moment, and I, I still trying to find the, the least costly way, uh, the, the least costly way, you know, how to implement it, and not to regret it in in a week or two. Oh, that's that's great. Uh, thanks, thank you so much uh, for answering my questions. Uh, does anyone else have any uh, thoughts or questions for uh, uh, Mongerdus on uh, Flutter Deck? Uh, if you want to uh, come up and speak, uh, you can just press the mic button and I'll bring you up. Hi, guys. Um, so <laughs> I was going to ask you actually some questions, but then I uh, was listening uh, you speaking about really advanced scenarios, and I'm really new on the Flutter journey. Uh, like I started literally like three weeks ago. Um, so I have to migrate like a big banking application to Flutter now. I'm exploring many things like, you know, this, this is a big challenge because just knowing a bit about Flutter and I'm trying to decide between, you know, stage management solution, uh, lots of libraries, dependencies, code generation. That's a lot, lot to uh, digest. Uh, but right now I'm working in the topic of uh, integration testing. And I was looking at how this is done in Flutter. And I wanted to ask you guys, um, what is how you how do you do this? Because um, in the in the app that I'm migrating, I used to have automation tests. Well, we actually have it now, and uh, these are really complex piece of code to uh, to maintain. And I was looking at the options in Flutter, <clears throat> and I saw this integration uh, test that you can do, uh, which actually code that will run on devices or um, simulators. And then I saw this patrol uh, framework or library, which I think is really neat. And I'm exploring those options and I still don't have like a solution, but I wanted to ask you guys, what is your experience with integration testing? And with integration, I understand like something that you can run on actual devices, like for example, uh, cloud service, like um, how you call it, um, Firebase Test Cloud and that you you write those tests and then it can be run on <clears throat> a range of devices like you know uh, iPhones Android phones uh, different models all phones new phones and stuff so you can make sure that your app will run not only on your dev environment but you know uh, in many different scenarios yeah oh that's a great question Zilon 
Um, I don't know too much. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't be the expert on giving advice about integration text testing, um, but operationally what I've seen that works for me um, and for me only uh, is there's this tool called Rapido by Stephen Petrus. Um, and it, it's, it's the only thing that I think really makes sense from an operational standpoint. Uh, so what Rapido does is uh, it actually runs your Flutter app, and then it uses uh, AI or uh, machine learning uh, to track your clicks. Uh, so then it can play it back, and you can run those tests back. So for me, uh, it works because you know operationally uh, things change all the time. Uh, so it's really important to have something that you can set up and modify uh, really quickly, um, and running. A Flutter app and testing it, you know, on real, uh, in in a real world scenario, essentially, uh, that to me is pretty important as well. Uh, so, if anyone else has any like more, uh, <laughs> if anyone would like to share their methods and secrets to integration testing, um, I would love to hear that as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, so my experience and what I do is I just use uh, the software called Rapido. Yeah, I didn't uh, know about it. Uh, um, I'll take a look. Can you just post a link uh, so I can I can just look at it? Okay, so for me, the, I mean, I don't know how that works, but I saw something in Flutter that uh, was really was a really good surprise for me, which is that you can write uh, code for one test, and you can share this test. Uh, you can run this test on headless mode which means no UI, no simulator, no, no physical device, but you can use the same code to run the integration test. So that means that, for example, uh, you can run all of your tests on your CI, uh, your CI uh, setup, like, for example, on every commit or every pull request, and that will be very fast because they are headless, so you don't need to run any simulator. And in the other side, uh, you can use the integration test, you know, to for maybe for a QA role in the company. Uh, they can take care of those uh, integration tests and look at them and see what works and what not. Uh, so I thought this was like really powerful. And so I'm exploring that option right now. So maybe this is not like a big topic <laughs> because I guess uh, not many people write this kind of test. Uh, I guess this is not for every project. It's like, if you have a small app, for sure, you won't write this kind of test. But if you are maintaining a long-term project and and this project is delivered to a big user base, then that's the case, yeah, for this kind of test, but not for everyone. Yeah, if I can add two cents to, to, the, to the topic. Um, so first of all, you mentioned uh, that patrol, the Patrol, yeah, Patrol, I think that, that's how it's pronounced. So uh, that's a great package, which actually covers a lot of issues with the pure vanilla uh, integration test in Flutter because uh, the, like, the default integration tests in Flutter are relatively limiting. Uh, so usually when you are implementing integration tests as, as they are in Flutter, you end up creating a lot of helper methods because you notice that you're doing a lot of preparation or mounting stuff in, in advance before the test even starts and you are just using the same 
the same code over and over again and and I actually also you know it, if integration test needs to pass the native layer uh, part let's say asking permissions you know enabling disabling notifications or any other native pop-up that appears you are basically screwed uh, I don't know if it's impossible but it's definitely not very straightforward to uh, pass these screens or, or, or these models popping up when you are using, you know, the pure basic Flutter integration test. So uh, Petrol actually, you know, solves a lot of those issues. Uh, they provide you an easier uh, an easier system to, to find elements. Uh, uh, basically, they also cover the native layer to you, so you could uh, send events to native layer and you could also, you know, more easily go through all of those uh, native views uh, during your integration test. So uh, th actually, that that's a really great tool, and I think I could recommend using it. Uh, about the uh, the you know remote testing part when you are testing your uh, app on on simulators in the cloud or or however you want to call that, like app test lab in, in Firebase. I guess that's how it's called. Uh, I'm not really familiar with that topic because uh, I haven't really tried doing it to be honest uh, so 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 yeah I, I think i can agree what Rhea said in the field uh, but but yeah but uh, to sum up patrol is is something to look to look for and actually quite a nice tool uh, or sdk uh, to, to use in your integration test definitely yeah so i saw a couple of videos from them and exactly what you were saying like they are crossing that barrier of native pop-ups so you can control push notifications you can control uh, native uh, permission requests and things like that so that's actually <laughs> really good compared to other tools that i've used in the past uh, so i'm actually willing to, to try that one uh, but i have another question for you guys uh if you have some experience with this um i i guess this is a big question like when you do integration tests are you hitting the database or the backend APIs, or you are mocking all the all your services, all your uh, repositories that you know the data layer of your application. Is that something you will mock, or is that something that you will uh, just leave as it is in the application? So the integration test will do exactly the same as a user will do. Big question. Uh -oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's, you are just saying what, what you are doing, and that's it. So, uh, so yeah, in, in Flutter, I, I think you can split uh, tests into into three parts, right? So, unit test, obviously, you are just testing units, individual functions. So, you are mocking everything you can there just to scope this test to this specific unit you are testing. Then there are widget tests, and I think that's relatively similar what you are you were mentioning with the headless mode of integration test because i think i do not want to say that it's the same thing but i think that's what i'm using widget test for because uh running integration test in a headless mode to me is like mounting an application with mock data and just seeing if some actions uh, some in-app actions are working or you are going from one screen to another or you're just testing you know checking elements based 
based on the state you provide, whether you are checking the specific elements that appear on the screen. So for that, widget test is the way to go in Flutter. And there, well, I prefer mocking data. I know some people who are not making data even at this stage, and they are calling the real APIs to you know, trigger the state change. And in the state management layer, whatever you're using, you're pulling the data. But widget test to me is just to be to simplify regression happening in the UI layer. So if I, I want to test that, then I am mocking data because I do not really care about the data at, at this point. And integration tests is actually the, the field where I am trying to keep everything as close to production level as possible. So these are, you know, you are setting up the data in the background. You have a dedic not dedicated environment, I would say, but at least, you know, you have prepared set of data that you are working on, you are you have a prepared user that will be used for the login and whatnot, and you are just using the same data over and over again, which may not be perfect because you know you could get into some edge cases that you will never find using the same data over and over again, but at least uh, you know to check whether the data is loading from the services you need and, and, and whatnot. So in integration tests, I prefer to keep it as real as possible, meaning uh, trying to avoid the, the mocking data yeah, yeah, there. Yeah, I agree. Um, so I was wondering actually if, you know, if you have like, for example, three modes of the test yeah, because you say you have unit testing and then you have uh, the widget testing and then you have integration testing. And if I hit the database or the, the API in that case, I can actually find bugs on the backend, yeah? But then I will be uh, testing the backend, uh, not only the app. Um, so yeah, I think that's a, like a big question for me. Um, hard to decide, but... Um, I mean, I, 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 I maybe I, I am spoiled, but I, I trust my backend team that they are, they are writing their own tests. So I try to avoid testing their code. So I, I'm focusing only on what the app is needing. So in this case, I do not really care, you know, whether the backend is working properly, but I'm just testing the, basically the main crucial flows in your app using integration tests, you know, to, just to make sure that if I get this data from the API, I know that my app, my app you know, will do the right thing. So that, that's what I'm focusing on. Uh, I, I see your point about, you know, testing backend, but I do not think personally that it should be your responsibility to do that from the Flutter integration test. Yeah, yeah, I get your point. Cool. So I'm curious, uh, why, why are uh, <laughs> are people really writing these tests, and are you being paid to write these tests? I guess that's the that's the question. Uh, are, are are people being paid to write tests? I, yeah, yeah. Why not? Uh, so, for example, I, I work for a um, I work for a bank. Uh, I'm doing a banking app finance app or whatever you call it, and uh, it's a big project, yeah? And we found many cases where <clears throat> everything works in my machine, everything is fine, uh, even QA um, verifies the release and they make their tests and stuff. And then we make it to production and it mostly works, but in the cross re report tool, uh, in our case, we use Reagan. We start looking at a lot of issues happening on Reagan, and none of them has happened to us 
uh, and they are actually very hard to reproduce. And some of these bugs are crashes, uh, native crashes. Some of these bugs are UI related because when we were developing the application, normally you look at, I don't know, two simulators or three, uh, like one iOS, one Android, and we have the same screen, yeah? But for example, in Android, there is like a really big variety of uh, different screen sizes and stuff and something that looks good in your simulator or your device won't look good for others. <clears throat> Even getting to the point where they cannot hit a button because the button is hidden and they just need to scroll down, but they don't know that they, ha they have to scroll down. Maybe this is like a UI user experience issue. Uh, but we had those, those kind of problems, yeah? So if they pay us to write tests, uh, yes, I think, um, I think this is an important part of every um, project that you want to maintain in the long term. And um, it's not like a, about coverage, about you know, covering a certain amount of, a certain percentage of code, but it's about you know, uh, covering user cases and covering these scenarios where uh, something can go wrong, uh, mostly. So, yeah. Um, I, I like, the reason I like tests is because tests create jobs for uh, developers. Um, <laughs> uh, if you have a lot of tests and you have a you know, testing paradigm um, and an infrastructure, um, then what ends up happening a lot of times is you hire a lot more developers. But what we're seeing with uh, lower interest rates uh, or higher interest rates, I mean, uh, and what happens if, you know, uh, people on your engineering team are let go is that all of a sudden uh, the tests become not as important. Uh, that's just my experience there. Um, so if you're, I guess, starting out or whatnot or just working on your own project, uh, don't don't let anyone like force, you know, any testing philosophy on you. Um, and I, I guess one of my favorite um, references I have is, um, have, do you all, do any of you, uh, have you, any of you, um, do any of you know uh, Norbert, Norbert Causier? Um, he uh, is very talented. He built a lot of uh, uh, really great, uh, testing tools. So he built something called Detective, and Detective is a tool that lets you edit um, variables while you're running, you know, a live app, um, and you can, you know, see the state of all the variables in your app. Uh, very great. And then at the company that he was working for, um, he wrote his own uh, testing tool, and it was to the point where. Uh, it was to the point where he was considering, you know, releasing it as a paid product because he solved all the issues. He solved the issue of interacting with native, um, all like all of that. And it was incredible. So I know like my advice here, <laughs> well, no, I, I don't give advice, but it, if I were myself, if I wanted to, you know, add tests to a project, I would hire, you know, Norbert. <laughs> I'd hire someone who was capable of writing their own and building their own testing framework, um, because, oh, like if you if you've seen like quite a few different projects, 
and the testing solution is used at each like different company, um, you see that uh, there's not really, I guess, a generic solution that works for everyone. Um, so it does become quite custom and it does become uh, a bit of a resource to maintain. So you do have to hire, say, a dedicated you know, test engineer um, which if you're at a company and you're a decision maker and you're able to do that, then that's wonderful. Um, but otherwise, uh, like earlier, I shared that solution, that general uh, UI-based solution. Um, that's like as far as I can go because uh, I, I don't have, you know, a test engineer. Um, I don't have someone writing and maintaining a custom testing framework. Um, so, that's that's as far as I'm able to go with uh, some of the testing I do. Yeah, so I think it depends a lot on on the kind of application that you're doing, on the team that you're working on, and and yeah, it's not there is not like a general rule of what you should do and and if you should write tests or not. Yeah, I guess every each team will have uh, a reason or not uh, to write tests and. If you are doing a simple application where, I don't know, you have a couple of buttons, a couple of screens, and the flow is really simple, maybe you don't need test. The problem is when you need to deliver to many users and um, and, and then you are, you know, uh, delivering, you are making releases uh, every week or every two weeks, and you are, you know, modifying lots of parts of the code because, uh, your company is doing lots of new features and something that you change in the app can break other features without you knowing. So you are focused on something and without knowing, um, you can make a mistake and break something else, yeah? So in that case, uh, it's useful having tests because um, you are taking care of regressions, tests, you know, regressions, yeah? You don't, you don't want anything that was working to be uh, broken. And this is, I mean, the main reason, I guess, uh, to write tests. Uh, well, the main reason, you... uh, I'd push back on that. Uh, my opinion is that the main reason for tests is so you can scale a development workforce because not everyone has the same skills um, and not everyone is at the same skill level. So if you want to maintain a certain standard, then a test is definitely one tool and a very powerful tool to uh, achieve that standard, right? So it's like a, a hard and fast rule, essentially. But to your point, Zilon, um, about breaking things, uh, I've built one of, you know, uh, me and my team, we've built like probably one of the most complex Flutter apps um, out there, um, codelessly. And it's a Flutter editor, and the whole breaking things—it's—it's uh, it's a process, in my opinion. It's a process issue, and it's a skill issue. So if you're not—if you're, you know, investing a lot in tests and not investing a lot into uh, building your app infrastructure and building your app in a way that's robust, then. Uh, the tests are going to show that, hey, you're breaking things all the time, <laughs> but it's not going to really uh, fix the root of the problem, which is 
that you shouldn't be breaking things in the first place. You shouldn't be building in a way that breaks things in the first place, if that makes sense. Yeah, but how do you know if you broke things or not? Um, how do you know that how do you, you broke... The, how do you verify the quality of, of your next release? Like manually, uh, there is like a QA role just uh, going there manually, hitting all the buttons uh, on every release or how... Or, or, Developers are uh, responsible for this. Uh, so, if you're launching a new feature or you're, you know, making changes, uh, that doesn't touch the entire code base. So, uh, you don't need to. It wouldn't break. Like the way you're building something, um, it shouldn't break other parts of your app. So, if you're building a single page, right? You're adding a new page. Uh, what are the tests doing in the other pages? Uh, if, if, if any of the other tests for other pages are failing, then you're probably building it in a wrong way. So I, I know this is quite controversial, but that's why you know I'm pu I'm pushing back because what I see is that sometimes we don't spend enough uh, resources on improving our own app infrastructure and our, the way we build our app. So, for example, uh, one thing that's really, well, I think is really important is just being able to uh, have a visual screenshot of every single page in your app, right? So what you would build is you would build the infrastructure to allow you to do that. So you'd have... Um, say, you know, a navigation library that lets you, uh, you know, view every single page in your app. And you'd also have uh, the right dependency injection so you can, you know, simulate different states for every page in your app. And then run it in an environment um, with a tool that lets you take a screenshot uh, and with different, you know, screen sizes. So that is a type of app testing, um, but it's not writing tests, if that makes sense. Yeah, that actually sounds like uh, golden files. I guess it's the name. Like, uh, you go to screen, you take a screenshot, and actually this is supported by Flutter test. I saw that today, <laughs> this morning. Uh, like, you go to a screenshot and you, you can uh, match like a golden file, which means that there is a um, command line that you can run um, that will explore all the tests where you have, where you are calling this code, and it will take a screenshot and save it in your repo. Uh, so the next time uh, you run the test, uh, it will compare the screenshot that you took uh, with the new with the new one, and it will compare those images like um, pixel by pixel. And if there is any difference, then the test will fail. I don't know right, where... and that's that's the problem with the Flutter Golden tests is that it compares pixel by pixel, and pretty much every single time, uh, the pixels don't match. So their fuzzy algorithm doesn't work very well. Uh, so the, the, there are problems with uh, what the Golden tests. A lot of problems. Um, yeah. So uh, I guess what I'm saying here is what I'm pushing back on um, a bit is that. Uh, these tests, they don't take the place of um, actually, you know, teaching and training developers, right? So 
they don't take the place of working with, you know, senior developers that know what they're doing. Um, <laughs> if you have a bunch of, you know, people you can trust and you're building um, some really complex product um, and you have business goals, tests are something that you build into your product itself um, and not something that I'd, I'd say that you build it into your product itself instead of um, having it, you know, separate, if that makes sense. But that's just my thoughts here. Um, I just wanted to uh, push back a little on uh, what I see as a common uh, misunderstanding with uh, what tests are supposed to help um, and what tests are supposed to do. Yeah. Uh, does anyone have any thoughts about like tests or Flutter, you know, any other Flutter topics? Um, I did just say something controversial. So if you want to come up and respond, uh, just press the mic button and I'll bring you up. I was I was just curious about your project because you said you were working in a really big project, yeah, and 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 you consider that somehow you are considering that uh, writing or spending time of those integrations could be like something that some companies might not need. Um, I respect that. Uh, I think it's a, another just a different approach. Um, my case, my I mean. In, the, in my experience, um, writing tests is not something for, for junior developers. It's like the most senior you are, uh, probably you are more willing to, to write more tests, or uh, better tests, actually. Uh, it's not something we can skip. Uh, but I was wondering, I wanted to ask you how, I mean, how, if I understood correctly, I mean, you don't want, you guys in the team, you, you prefer not writing tests, but there is, there has to be some way of, you know, verifying that uh, new releases has some quality. Yeah. So I guess you do this manually if I understood correctly. Oh, right. Right. So uh, you, uh, I would rather hire, uh, you know, a team of QA testers, um, you know, someone to do to QA testing uh, than uh, building brittle tests that break. Uh, because in my experience, uh like 90, 90%, 95% of the time I've spent on writing tests ha hasn't actually delivered any business value. And I believe in uh, testing and production. So if you ship a feature and um, your users help you test your product because the users are using your product. So let's say you have a new feature uh, you release it to, say, 20% of your users, right? So if there are issues, then the users will report the issues. Um, and you'll see, you know, some logs, too. You can keep an eye on your error logs. So that's how um, I, at least, uh, move fast and also keep a high quality. Yeah, uh, makes sense. Makes sense. I think uh, that is doable in many cases. However, I'm uh, going to tell you one case that happened uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, so we are in the context of uh, a banking application and uh, there is money in the middle. 
And when you deal with money, you need to be very careful, yeah? Um, so we were giving some prices um, to some customers, depending on some actions. And, and then they will just click a banner, uh, do scratch something, and then they will get some money, yeah? So there, were, there, was, there was a bug in the application where it was showing, this was like a big mistake. It was showing a user that they won certain amount of money, but it wasn't true. And that was like a big issue uh, for, for the business side, uh, for developers and, and for everyone in the team. So these kind of things is like, it was working fine when we were developing, um, but then it happened in production. It was actually like an edge case, but it happened, yeah? And these kind of things cannot happen. So for these particular kind of things, um, if you don't have proper testing, and then that's the that's the result, yeah. <laughs> so I I think I guess uh, from your situation, if you are good to deliver to users and have a, and and have your users test the application because you actually maybe you have like a good feedback from them, and then uh, you can just go quickly fix something and make another release, and that's fine. If that works for 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 you, I think it's good enough. However, there are some uh, other, you know, business situations where that cannot happen. No, but it sounded like that this issue did reach its way into production. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, it happened to not many, but some users. Uh, so I would ask, how are you able to catch the issue? And do you think that the tests would have caught it before? Uh, before you uh, push to production? The, we knew because a user was complaining uh, to customer support. Uh, so in this case, the user were, was the tester. <laughs> and, and, and for the second question, if we, do, if we will have done uh, extensive tests on that feature, Probably we will have caught the bug, but this is not 100% sure, yeah. Maybe you're right. Maybe uh, we do all those tests and you can always miss something, yeah. Because testing and integration testing is not perfect and you can miss some stuff, some edge cases and that can happen. You're proving my point, um, but I, I, I do, like at the end of the day, I love tests because tests uh, create jobs and it helps um, it helps organizations trust and train new developers. So that that's why if you're a senior developer, you know, setting up an environment and building a team, uh, that's that's one of the most valuable things that you can do, right? Uh, because you're literally helping other people get into, you know, development and you're giving them, you know, opportunities. Uh, so that's why I love tests. Uh, but I also <laughs> realize that um, a lot of testing, a lot of testing doesn't actually uh, deliver, you know, uh, it's not valuable in the sense that, you um, 
it's not valuable to business in that way. Yeah, so I you guess, are sacrificing a bit. I guess that's the main point. If the tests that you're writing are uh, of any value to the business or not. Yeah, I guess that's that's actually the, the key point. And in your case, it's not. And I guess for it depends on the case. Yeah. Uh, so for and Zelon, the value to business is if the business is willing to pay and the business is willing to demand it. So from my perspective, I could say that, hey, these tests I'm writing, they're completely useless, right? But if the business and if you're able to convince the business that, hey, we need to have 100% test coverage, then that is very, very valuable to the business. So, for example, if you are, you know, working for this bank and your bank has some requirement that, hey, we need to have 100% test coverage for all our code, then no, that's, that's very that. valuable to the bank. No, that's not the case. Uh, it's more like we need, uh, we need releases without bugs, bug-free, yeah? More than uh, nobody cares about coverage. It's more about, you know, having confidence on the code that you are releasing to the public. Uh, that's, that's, that's the point. Right, right. And you do see apps with 100% test coverage that have a ton of bugs. Yeah. That, <laughs> that have a ton of issues. So, but, but here's what's really incredible. Um, if you can sell a company on 100% test coverage, then you need a, you get a bigger budget. You hire more developers, right? So it, it really depends on what you're trying to do. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, a lot of times, you know, developers, they think that, hey, you know, let's write tests, you know, let's uh, build all these great things. And uh, <laughs> the, the business values and the business objectives are sometimes misaligned with developer values and developer objectives, right? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I would like to to hear other other people in the in this channel. Like, are you guys testing stuff or not? Am am I the only one? <laughs> well, Hi everyone. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, yeah, of course, test is good. Test is great. But still, there are sometimes uh, we'll, we'll write a bunch of tests and we'll find out that when we push our app to production, something still breaks, right? So um, so tests is not really like like the litmus... Tests is not really like the litmus tests or not intended that, um, that your app will be fine and, and you'd have no bugs, right? Um, like Zion was saying... He wrote a couple of tests, but by the time it got to the users and in production, it was like shit. Um, he forgot to write an edge case. So even as a developer, apart from just writing tests, first of all, you must know all the edge cases, right? You must know all the edge cases in in, in your app and write tests for all of them for you to confidently say, yeah, I've written it good test so um my take is just that test is good but to me the best kind of test is 
is the one where you strengthen your code itself while writing your code and make sure you don't have any loose ends, right? This should just validate, right? But you should strive to write the best kind of code with the best kind of um, architecture and state management that is relevant to your app, right? Then writing tests should just be an add-on, yeah. So writing the best code is the best kind of test you can write. Thank you. Uh, let me also add something uh, to this. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Chongor from Flutter Abu Dhabi in Dubai. Uh, I'm working on a large team, and uh, one something was mentioned that uh, if we want to have like a huge test coverage, then we need to hire more people. My experience that uh, with a large team or when we have like multiple engineers, then basically tests can help us to avoid issues. So speaking about scalability uh, with a larger code base, where basically in a flexible and with a code base which can easily change and like during the time, maintaining documentation sometimes can be like can be like uh, rejected by the developers, but having tests as documentation can be valuable. Uh, that was a comment that uh, tests cannot bring value to the business. Tests can act as documentations about the business rules, about the test cases, and basically if a new joiner or another team is changing something in your uh, own code implementations, tests can help help uh, you and also the 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 joiners and the and the other engineer who changed something in your code base so tests can act as documentation also thank you a quick question for you uh a concert uh sorry uh, can you uh, say your name again yeah yeah my name is uh, chongor like cne chongor the Turkish name, but uh, it was like uh, created in Hungary. Yeah. Oh, my apologies. Uh, a quick no, question sure. for you: uh, When you see the test as documentation, um, and in your team, uh, do you have uh, do, do, do your developers um, write uh, code comments, <laughs> or do they not write code comments at all? Uh, we are writing in uh, in core libraries, so we. We started to introducing uh, also the modularization in our code base. Of course, there are shared cores and shared uh, implementations and shared uh, public interfaces where we are trying to bring the documentation. But the main issue that sometimes documentation cannot reveal uh, like any details in the implementation side. So when you have strict rules, for example, verifying uh, deep link strings, hard-coded uh, uh, variables. Uh, these uh, these tests can help us to like uh, avoid issues. Um, so I do believe that tests can like like uh, act like more as documentation than just uh, like in, in some inline comments. Of course, like readme files with the associated implementations are also important. And going back to this, uh, the main topic, like collecting values for testing, I, I still uh, see, uh, I do see uh, testing as documentation.
Okay. Uh, do your uh, does your code have code comments? What do you mean by code comments? Like, so say you're uh, you have you open up a code file, and do you have like you know slash slash a comment explaining, hey, here's what this piece of code does slash slash you know code comment, or do you not have any code comments at all? We have, we have, but it it's I don't think that like all of these code comments would cover all of the uh, edge cases. Like, like I think functions, business rules, mostly focusing on the happy flows, but by using unit tests, you can, you can, you can prepare for much, much many negative cases as well. And also if you have like, like tests, or for example, if you're asking your developers to writing tests, uh, hopefully when they are collecting these test cases, uh, then basically they will be forced to thinking about the negative cases. So when you are releasing something to production, uh, you are passing it to the QA team. Sometimes the QA team wouldn't think about like like um, like all of the negative cases, what uh, what a developer or an engineer can see. Uh, basically, you mentioned that uh, uh, like you are refusing and the you don't see the value in manual testing, and, uh, and you would hire a QA team. For example, with my company, we started to encouraging the engineers to yes participating in manual testing if it's necessary, like organizing group testing sessions involving other engineers, uh, sometimes also business stakeholders and other colleagues, uh, and and con uh, collecting the test cases, being aware about the usages of their implementations, and try to not delegate this ownership about their implementation because that can that can cause uh, if there's any misalignment or miscommunication then uh, we would miss a chance to detect issues before production oh that's that yeah that's great info to have it's always good to uh, see how um, you know other companies uh, arrange their uh, dev teams and some of the processes that you have uh, so that's great um, and definitely, you know, we we want to be open to uh, different perspectives, right? Especially uh, with what works, uh, what what gets you good results. Uh, so, Tonger, uh, I saw you requested to come up and speak earlier. Uh, do you have any other? Uh, did you want to discuss any other Flutter topic besides testing? Um, I think we can move on from uh, talking about testing. We spent quite a while on it. We we can switch the topic. Uh, originally, I wanted to ask a question from Mangidas, but he needed to let he needed to leave. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> well, I guess we'll just have to catch him le next time. Oh, my bad. I apologize. Uh, Miller, I saw you just requested to speak. Um, so if you want, you have the floor. Uh, Miller, uh, you have the floor. 
Okay, uh, I guess moving on, uh, multi-talented mobile developer, uh, Frank, uh, do, you, do you have any uh, topics you want to discuss? Uh, you have the floor. Um, no, not really. Um, not so much. Oh, uh, hello. Am I audible? Oh, hi, Miller. No, go ahead. Uh, go ahead, Miller. Um, yeah, so yeah, real. I have one question for you. Um, how do you undo how do you undo localization in a filter app? Because I've noticed that different people handle it differently. And um, so take, for example, if you create your localization file and you send it to a translator to do the translation and they give it back to you with, in other languages, by the time you start adding more strings to the app, do you then send each of those strings back to a translator or is there like an automated way to, to do it? Or how do you um, undo the entire process if you've done something like that before? Yeah. And this to anyone, um, not just to Ray, just asking generally. So um, I I'm assuming you are talking about uh, delegating the translation to another company? Um, yes, the delegating to the translation to another company. But if I add a new string in, in the app, I can't just send like that's just that single string to that company and because it'll be a lot of back and forth. So is, wow. is it like an automated way or maybe like a service I, I could use? Okay, so there are there are some tools, well there are many actually, uh online tools and services for translation and they have CMS uh where you can have all your strings and, and, and then there is a queue uh, for translation. Uh, so you leave the, your new strings in there and then they will mm -hmm. be eventually translated. Mm -hmm. Or you can actually, you, uh, in, in other situations, you can send a batch of strings. So okay. you in a feature and then you send all the, the strings in one batch and then they will translate the whole thing for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, could you mention one of the services that you probably have used or? I, I've used uh, one in the past. I don't remember the name right now, but I'll okay. look it up for you. Uh, okay. But there are, there are many like uh, online translation services and some of them have uh, a way for you to download the streams in certain um, formats that you okay. can easily import to, to Flutter, for example, yeah? 
Um, so for example, in Flutter, I'm using this library. I found this library called Slang, which I don't know guys if you know it, but this library is so cool, so easy to use. And it, use, it uses like its own JSON format, but um, you can actually import from other libraries. So it should be easy yeah, to download some data uh, from some online tools and then convert the data. Uh, okay. Let's see. Thanks. But I guess if you have like a, a only a bunch of strings, uh, mm -hmm. it's worth like you know uh, maybe maybe you can just uh, sometimes you can just um, translate that translate those yourself uh, if it's easy if there are like you know complex uh, text or mm -hmm. phrase that's a different thing. Okay. Yeah, I I know there's also AWS translator. I haven't tried that before, but maybe I will also check that out. Yeah, but I, you know, I, I so many apps. Uh, when I see the app in my language, translation is so horrible <laughs> <laughs> that you know uh, uh, you can see that they didn't use any translation services. Yeah, they just use like automatic translators and. Depending on the kind of app that you are doing, uh, that can be uh, an issue or not, yeah? Because maybe mm -hmm. your users don't care about, you know, bad translations, but uh, if you are talking about something, I don't know, like very serious business or, so, or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, you will need like, a proper translation. Yeah, you're right. By the way, what, what library are you using in Flutter for, for translation? Um, I'm using Easy Localization. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, and I mean, um, it, has, it has been working fine. So I, I just, so right now, we just sent the bunch of the JSON file that contains all our strings in English to the translator and they send that back the JSON file in other languages. So we just include that to the app. Yeah. But I know we are going to continually start, um, we'll add more strings to the app and I don't want to go through that process of always sending them the file and waiting for their response and all those things. So that's all just asking which is an automated way. No, um, I think, I think uh, this is not how it works. It's like, uh, I mean, maybe some companies do that. I don't know. But the online services, um, I will look it up for you. But the online services, you have a panel where you can uh, set all your strings and they will be eventually translated for you. Uh, so you, you don't need to communicate with anyone. Yeah, I guess you will get a notification when some, something is updated. And that's how some some of those services work. Yeah, mm, I see. I see. Mm -hmm. Cool, cool, cool. So, um, so when I was doing the easy localization, the funny thing happened. I was basically getting the local string from the server. Um, so. During during development, right, there are some times which I, I wasn't even aware. So the server sent a local string that was not part of our supported local in the app, 
but they, but the app didn't crash, right? Because in the in the localization package, there's actually like an assert statement, right? To actually check that it is part of the list of local. They will now push to production to beta users and the asset crashing. And I was like, what was wrong? Then I found out that yeah, asset statement does not asset statement doesn't work in in production and in release apps. So I was like, ah, oh shit. I couldn't even have found this while I was developing because the asset was helping me. Mm. So the app was crashing because of uh, translations? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the app was crashing because the the um, the language code that was coming from server was not part of what was supported in the app. Like I didn't have the JSON file for that language code. So But then, yeah. I think when you work with translations, you always need like a default, uh, like a fallback, yeah? If... I, yeah, I, to be honest, I don't know why that didn't work. I actually specified the fallback to English. Yeah. But I don't know. It's just, it, it just still tried to look up that language code and it didn't find it. And it said it's, it can't load this asset file because it doesn't exist. I was expecting the easy localization package to just go to the fallback, but I don't know why that didn't work. But it was actually fine in development because of the assert statements the the package added. Or this, this is why you need to write test. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. True though, true. Hmm. <laughs> But you, but even if I've written the tests, I mean, it might still have worked well because the assert statements would have been on my site since I was still in development. Yeah, I mean, there is another way of uh, writing tests, uh, which some companies do, as far as I know. It's like, mm -hmm. instead of writing tests for everything, uh, they catch bugs in production, and then they before they fix the bug, mm -hmm. they, write, they write a test case for that bug. Then after having that test failing, they they fix the bug. Mm -hmm. And with that test in place, they make sure that bugs won't come back again. That's another approach. Mm -hmm. So they catch the bugs in production, then they write the test for it first, then they go fix it to make sure it doesn't happen again. Yeah, exactly. That's another another approach, yeah, for testing. Okay. Yeah, but is it possible to? I I know there are no bug free codes, but I mean, the only way we can be safe is if we can actually think of all the edge cases, right? Because the testing will only save you to the extent you write it. If you don't actually write the particular test from the particular edge case, I mean, you might find yourself in trouble. Yeah. So it's almost like that. So that method is 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 actually um, curing and not really pre pre preventive, like, like how many people see tests. Okay, uh, so we have some uh, other speakers here, um, yeah. Antuck and then Enzo. 
I just requested. So Antuk, um, if you have um, any comments or any topics you want to raise, uh, you have the floor. Yep. Thank you, Ray. Uh, it's Aytunç uh, from Istanbul. And you talked about changing topics. So I have a different topic for you people. Uh, and this is about monorepos. So uh, let me tell you the scenario. Uh, we have an app. Actually, we have two apps. Uh, one of them is used by the actual users, the consumers of the app. And the second one, this is a social app. And the second app is used by the creators. So a subset of our users are creators. So the app is slightly different with some different features. Okay, uh, we have two apps and we have a monorepo structure where we have uh, lots of packages for each feature, like authentication, because authentication is going to be uh, this authentication package inside of the monorepo is going to be used by both the creator and the consumer apps. Same with uh, a friends package, which you can list your package, which, which you can list your friends, discover, discover them, etc. contacts, payments, in-app purchases, video player, encoding video, and more and more. So uh, the question is this, when we have the structure, we don't have the flexibility of using different versions of each package, like authentication, in our uh, host apps, in the creator app and in the uh, consumer app. Is there a way, if anyone has some experience with uh, monorepos, uh, to Still keep a monorepo because it has lots of advantages, especially when used by Melos, and still be able to do versioning inside of the structure. Uh, we were planning on using a, a private pub dev, uh, something like OnePub. Let me check if it is the right name. Uh, yes, OnePub. Uh, but uh, we don't know if we can do that uh, versioning while using. Uh, a monorepo. So if anyone has any experience in this, I would love to hear that. If not, I can ask uh, next week, maybe in an earlier time. Uh, so thank you. And tell me if my question was clear or not. Okay, so... Uh... I don't have experience in the Flutter world for this, but I guess, uh, but I, but I do have experience on .NET uh, for the same kind of problem. Um, there are multiple ways of doing that. Yeah, as you said, if you have everything in the same repo, in a mono repo with all the packages in there, and then uh, the, the apps are referencing those packages, uh, that code directly, uh, then you don't have any way to do versioning. Yeah, to use in one app, use one version. Other apps will use another version of one particular package. So that's that's the main problem you're talking about. Um, so what we did, or what we are doing, uh, because we we were doing .NET applications and some of the code were shared between backend and clients. And we had the same problem. So there are different approaches to do this. One 
which is a bit complex, is to have Git submodules. And when you have a submodule, you can point to a specific commit in that module. So from one app, you will point to one um, to one uh, commit, and from uh, one version or one tag uh, or one branch doesn't matter. And from another app, you will point to a to a different uh, version of the package. Yeah, so that will be solved. But working with some modules is very painful, in my opinion. At least it's not something I enjoy doing, and I guess many people don't. So another approach is uh, separating those libraries into different uh, repos, and then there is a pipeline to build that package. Yeah. And when you build that package, uh, you deploy that package to some package management. In Flutter, I don't know, I, I just know path. Um, so I don't know if there are um, replicates of path, but privately, I don't know if that exists or not. I guess, I guess there are, but I'm not sure. Uh, in the .NET world, we have Nugget, uh, which is the same as, as path, it's just uh, package managers and you can have a private one, yeah? So we do have a private one and we deploy all the versions to, to that manager. And then from your app or your application or your library or whatever, you can reference any version that you like. And this is how we solve it, yeah? So having, instead of having a mono repo, we have a repo for each substantial library and that library will deploy itself in the pipe with a CI pipeline to to the to to Nugget in this case, which is like path, yeah. Okay, so in the uh, yeah, I agree with you. The first approach is really the is modules. It's not preferable, but in the second approach uh, that you talked about, uh, the problem is that we lose the uh, advantages of a mono repo. So the team members, like whenever we do a PR, it usually we usually need to touch a, a couple of the packages at the same time in order to fix a bug or uh, do something new. L let's say we work on the authentication package, and then after that authentication package it has some new property, we want to be able to uh, apply that uh, in the app in one of the apps. So. If we have all these apps and packages in different repos, then the developer will need to change projects in VS Code all the time and play with, as you said, the PubSpec YAMLs. And it will be cumbersome also. Do you know a way to still keep a mono repo and do versioning? It can be in .NET also. I'm just like, like an overview. Was I clear? Um, no, no, I don't know how to do that. Okay, but by the way, this was very, very helpful. Thank you very much, Leon. I don't think there is a good way of doing that. I need you need to stick with some solution. And but for the mono repo, as far as I know, I don't know any way of doing this. Maybe there is a way, but I don't know it. Maybe next week, Ray, we can uh, invite uh, the creators of Melos here. I know it's used by a lot of uh, small and big companies. Uh, maybe we can invite them through together and ask them. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mike, uh, 
Um, yeah, so Mike uh, Diamond, um, the CEO of Invertase, uh, he was on one of the Spaces calls earlier, uh, and it's a good idea. I think we should. I should start inviting, uh, inviting people to these Spaces, um, and then we can definitely ask questions. Uh, so I, I personally use Mellows, and I'm also personally a fan of submodules, but I know that developers hate submodules. And they don't like it. They don't like some modules because uh, it's not their uh, the Git commands for sub modules um, are somewhat complex, um, and you really need like a visual UI to work with uh, sub modules. Uh, so that's what I found in my experience to be the primary blocker. But some modules they work really well uh, for my projects, like especially if you have packages. And you're publishing, you know, packages to uh, a public, you know, pub.dev. Um, you definitely need to have uh, a specific repo for each specific package, pretty much. Um, so that that's at least what I found like works pretty well uh, for your specific use case, though. Um, you're trying to do uh, like what 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 exact problem you're running into? Um, I I, I want to understand that a bit further. So it's the versioning when you're developing and you have uh, people making pull requests, but they're referencing older or specific versions of each package, each like sub module, right? Yeah. L l let's say I talked about two apps, right? One for the creators and one for the consumers. Uh, these use many common uh, packages. And of course, we are not always uh, publishing these two apps at the same time. Uh, maybe the consumer app gets published, let's say, once a month. Uh, the creator app gets published uh, once every two months. And uh, sometimes we want to play safe and we want to use uh, a version of the authentication package for creator app from three months ago. But for the consumer app, we want to use the latest one. We want to have this flexibility but with the monorepo uh, way we don't have this flexibility because they're all in the same uh, repo and we don't put uh, we just give them the paths you know in pub spec yaml we just right yeah. right so th that's the main problem. okay if that's the case it's on tuck right uh, itunes but that's okay yeah itunes yep iTunes. Right. Uh, so if that's the case, then uh, some modules is the perfect solution. It's what you're looking for. Um, or uh, you can always uh, reference a commit, a specific commit, right? So you know that you can, uh, with a, a Flutter and PubSpec YAML, uh, you can reference a specific commit uh, hash, um, or you can reference um, a specific branch. So if you want to say uh, reference, you know, old commit, you just use that hash or you can just make a branch there and reference the branch name. Okay. Uh, would that work? Can, can we do this while using a monorepo uh, in our pub spec YAMLs, uh, referencing commit or branch names? Uh, yes, of course. Uh, you can reference an old... Uh, Oh, I, I see what the issue is. Um, it's a mono repo, so oh, I, okay, I see the 
issue because it's a mono repo um the package isn't like structured in a package format i see i, I don't know if it's yeah, I don't know if it's possible with a mono repo, but um, definitely try it. Uh, see if you know using the path reference or the hash reference works. Um, but otherwise, uh, some modules are a solution. They they're they're like the solution to this problem because you can reference any commit um, and you can package your individual packages um, in a sub module. Okay, I got some good info. Thank you very much. Yeah, I guess the final note there is that if you can avoid using a submodule, uh, do so. Like, don't use submodules if you can, because developers hate submodules. Okay, so you'll get a lot of hate. Uh, <laughs> hate is a very strong word, but you will get a lot of complaints, and you'll have a lot of uh, support requests from your fellow developers if you're trying to do some modules. So instead, uh, try any other solution, right? Um, but then some modules are built for this specific use case. Um, it's just that developers don't like it. <laughs> Thank you. If someone wants to talk, I think. Yep. Uh, does anyone else have any uh, any advice for onto a, a, a touch? Um, hello, yeah, um, not for a touch, but I wanted to react to like the multi-talented uh, mobile developer about uh, easy localization. So I wanted to say that um, the fallback system to easy localization definitely work. Um, because uh, we recently developed uh, an application destined for the 2024 Paris Olympics, and it was like nine languages. So um, on it, there is we we use like easy localization, of course, and um, there is like a lot of easy mistakes that you can make uh, with easy localization. For example, one of them it will be like to not specify uh, the fallback link, fallback local, and then it will redirect to the ENUS local. But if you didn't make the ENUS JSON file um, and you only have, for example, uh, ENGB uh, local, which could be maybe the same, I don't know, um, just your English version, uh, but then it will definitely not work. So it might be one of those uh, options where you actually might have just misconfiguration that makes that you fallback doesn't work. But I can definitely say that uh, the fallback system does work on uh, easy localization. So yeah, no new subject for me. Sorry, just like a, just a, a reaction to what I've been previously said. Oh, great, um, Enzo, uh, you were next, and then we have Roman. And I do need to end the space in uh, about ten minutes, unfortunately. Uh, so, Enzo, uh, you have the floor. Uh, I just said, I already said whatever I had to say. I was just uh, reacting to what have you previously said. I don't have any new uh, subject ah, to say. Okay. So, <laughs> Roman, I guess. <laughs> uh, Roman, then uh, you have the floor. Sounds good to me. Um, I know the space has been going on for a while, so I don't know if this topic's been covered, but I'm wondering how many people have or are even aware of the fact that you can do full stack uh dart 
So I know that there's some pretty cool frameworks out there. Um, there's one by Very Good Ventures that's like really bare bones. Um, there's there's one that's uh, called ServerPod, and it's like pretty opinionated. It gives you like a, a database, a cache, and like all this kind of stuff. I'm wondering if anyone is actually using these tools and what their experience is like. I can say a little bit more about it if uh, if uh, if that's a little too vague. Basically, um, ServerPod. I've been playing with it, and it's pretty cool. So the idea is that you're using you're using Dart for Flutter, right? You're also using Dart for the backend, and the backend also has um, for the server side. So it's like REST basically, um, and your REST. Backend has also got database access. And since um, the database connector is written using, or it's like part of the framework, basically, uh, your Dart types, uh, like JSON serializable types, are uh, you can shove those directly into a database using the same model. And you also, like, you get it from front end to back end to database, it's all like typed using that same like object, the same model. Um, you also get to like uh, toss it into cache and things like, it's like all this code reuse stuff that uh, I guess uh, in like JavaScript, if you were to use JavaScript on the backend with like Node or whatever, code reuse, all of these kind of benefits. Um, uh, but uh, in Dart here, you get to use Flutter because Flutter is awesome, right? Um, so if your backend is not super heavy, nothing crazy, then I can imagine it being useful, but um, besides a couple of hobby projects, I haven't really seen anyone using it. Well, uh, besides any hobby projects of mine, I also have not seen anybody use it sort of in production. I know there's a couple, but it's an interesting topic, I think. Yeah, so. it, yeah it, it is an interesting topic. As a hobby project, I that I was trying to learn Flame. I wanted to make like a multiplayer game and i guess this was a couple of years ago maybe one and a half years ago i don't remember dart frog just came uh, out at that time uh, the very good ventures uh, solution to this uh, full stack uh, dart and uh, i experimented with it uh, it was nice we were able to use the same models in the server and in the client at that time, it didn't have full support for passing objects in between server and the client, but I guess they were working on it. So most probably right now, you don't even need to uh, do deserializing and serializing. You just pass objects from your, like Dart objects from your client to server. So that's something good. And I heard lots of good things about server pod. Uh, it was a big hype like a year ago. I don't know why people don't talk too much about them, but uh, it is important for Dart and for the future of Flutter because I mean, these are great things to be able to uh, have a single code base for your server and your client. I think we should talk more about this stuff. Thank, thanks for bringing this up, Rom. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, from what I understand, uh, Dart Frog, which is the very good ventures one I was mentioning before, uh, server pod. I think there were some others, but um, 
I think these are a couple of the the more successful kind of staying around ones. Um, very good ventures. I I understand that they stay around because they actually use it. You know, pretty well known contracting company that builds out like high quality stuff. Um, ServerPod. They found a way to uh, like make money off of it. Their idea is basically that you can. Um, and this info might be slightly old. This is based off of uh, uh, what I read online, plus listening to whatever podcasts I could about it. But their their way of making money with it was to give you tooling that would like basically one button click, go and deploy it. And so like they they rely on Postgres and Redis and uh, like just you know it's a Dart binary basically. Um, so they can they can scale this thing out to a bunch of instances and they handle all that server stuff. It's like one one button click sort of deploy. Um, so like I don't know, end to end, it seems really interesting. And for some of these projects that like have the considerations about like production ready, um, you know, like it seems like it's something that could stick around. Um, definitely, there must be people who are using it. But I, I wonder what what that feels like, you know, for uh, for folks like this who. I mean, I don't know the uh, the demographic here in this chat very much, but uh, if anyone does know more about this, I know that uh, Ray, you got to go soon, but um, yeah, I'd love to carry on the conversation later, I guess. Oh uh, yeah, this is great. Um, th we'll carry on this. I think this will be a good conversation for next week. Uh, I did uh, invite. I did try inviting. Uh, uh, Simon, um, the creator of uh, Isser and Hive. Uh, so someone, uh, uh, sorry, not someone. Uh, let me look at, up this real quick. Uh -oh. uh, Godson Joseph had a question about Hive. Uh, so we, we didn't get to that, unfortunately. Uh, but I did invite Simon to these spaces before. Uh, so I think I should invite, um, and definitely I could use help here to invite uh um, some other uh, people, like the creator of ServerPod, um, who is uh, who is the creator of Server? Oh, Victor, right, Victor. Sorry, his name uh, slipped my mind. So we can invite Victor and see if we can get any. Uh, you know, we can have ask him questions. Yeah, what's yeah, great is great. that. Uh, what's great, I heard, is that Victor is now working on ServerPod full time. So that's really incredible. Yeah. And also he's hiring too. Yeah. Yeah, I did see that. I think the uh, it'd be great to have a podcast or something published uh, a little bit more up to date because the last one he has is like, uh, I think it's about a year old. Um, so yeah, I'd love to hear updates on that. That'd be awesome to hear have him on here. What's really wonderful, um, I guess to uh, somewhat wrap things up, is that... Uh, like that podcast with Alan, right? So Alan made that podcast and uh, we, we get all this really great, like in-depth in, in depth interviews with uh, people in the Flutter community. And um, Alan, you know, he isn't a professional podcaster. <laughs> he just does it because he has, you know, the will and the time. And when he started out, you know, he didn't get that many views. Like he only got like maybe a hundred views on some of his videos, right? Uh, but now um, he's getting more views, and the videos 
a lot of people uh, do watch them, and especially the historical ones, because they serve as a really valuable resource. Uh, so that's what's really incredible about you know what we're doing here. Um, and everyone, you know, just being on these spaces calls, uh, you're being a part of this community and you're actually helping uh, promote Flutter like so much because uh, if you're on here, uh, Twitter's algorithms, they put our spaces, you know, in people's feeds, right? So we get more people, more eyes on Flutter for sure. And uh, I guess my point here is that Flutter is, the Flutter needs your help. And there's a lot of opportunity here. Like there's no one that says you can't do something, right? So if you have the time and you have the energy uh, and you want to help Flutter, then definitely, you know, do what you feel right. Uh, do what feels right to you. Um, it could be, you know, starting a podcast. Um, it could be writing, you know, an article or just, you know, coming to these spaces um, to for starters. Or, you know, making memes. Uh, you know what's really surprising and what's really uh, actually somewhat heartbreaking for me? Uh, there's no one making daily memes for Flutter. <laughs> I have so many great meme ideas, but uh, I just don't have the time. So I might start making some memes, but there is a lot of opportunity and a lot of things that need to be done. Um. Anyways, uh. Yeah, I think uh, I, I, I do need to run. So I'm going to end the spaces call. And um, if you have any thoughts, uh, just, you know, message, uh, comment on this post. And uh, we, for next week, uh, let's see if we can uh, get, you know, some, uh, in, in, if we can invite some people and we can talk about server pod or, you know, Dart Frog. Hey, Ray, are you, are you doing this every Wednesday? Uh, yes, every Wednesdays and 2 p.m. sounds like a good time. So uh, we'll have it at this time, around this time again, probably. Okay. 2 p.m. A good, great question. Yeah. What time zone? Uh, what was that, Roman? What time zone? Uh, 2 p.m. Uh, Central Daylight Time. Okay. Thank you very much for this. It was great. Have a great night, day, whatever everyone. All right. Thank you, everyone, for coming. All right. Have a good rest of your night. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Ray.